This is Restart Hope with Pastor Joel Sicker on FM 94.1 The Voice. I could go through the Bible all along and talk about, oh, his heart was to the right. Saul, his heart was to the left. David, his heart was to the right. It ran away to the left, but it came back to the right. He was a man after God's own heart. And God said, enough of that, Joel. What is? What about your heart? Where is your heart? What's the inclination of your heart? What is it running after? You know, there was a guy in the 17th century, a theologian. His name is Charles Bridges. And he talks about the heart. He talks about the affections. He talks about the intellect. He talks about the emotions. He talks about passion. Where's your heart this morning? What is its inclination? You see, it doesn't have to be something that inherently looks sinful, but it can be foolish. It can be something that you're chasing after that's not the time for you to chase after. What is the inclination of your heart? Because if your inclination is no God, I'll have my way, you're a fool and you're going to have dead flies in your life and no matter what honor and wisdom you've gained, it's going to be a stench. On the other hand, please listen to me, you might be chasing your own way because you do not have the answers and so you're trying to figure something out. you're just throwing stuff at the wall you're just taking advice from idiot friends you're just doing what other people do but I promise you this when your heart is inclined to the right even if you don't have all the answers you will find yourself in the center of God's will He will make a way when there seems to be no way don't be a fool and live a life with dead flies in your perfume but let your heart be inclined to the right continue reading this and see what Solomon has to say he says a wise man's heart inclines him to the right but a fool's heart to the left and then he says in verse 3 even when the fool walks on the road he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he's a fool so we see that a fool first of all he says there is no God we see that a fool is directionally challenged and then we see a fool he's wise in his own eyes how does a fool walk on the road and show everybody that he lacks sense if you were driving back and you're on the freeway and you see an idiot that's skipping in the middle of the freeway, quite possible you wouldn't pull over and join him. You probably would say, what a fool, he's going to kill himself. Now, you wouldn't go do that, but it's quite possible that sometimes the way we live our life, it's like skipping down the freeway while you think that you're so brave and everybody's like, what a fool. And this is the, the funniest thing about a fool. He thinks he's wise in his own eyes. He thinks that he's so brave. He thinks that he's so cutting edge. And he tells everybody that he's a fool. You know what? You know a fool tells everybody that he's a fool? By telling everybody how foolish everybody else is. And will never admit that, man, I need to grow in this. Man, this is why I lack wisdom. Something that I always tell uh, my leaders is I need them to be fat. I need them to be faithful, available, and teachable. You've got to be faithful to the call of God. You've got to be available to what you committed. And you have to be teachable. Because when you stop growing, you're done. You're dead. Because when you're dead, a dead person doesn't learn anything new. But a person who's alive has to constantly be learning. My older brother, he told me, he said, if you ever want to, you know, like, as you get older, he says, Joel, never stop learning because the minute you stop learning, you start deteriorating, you start going back. And I've seen this in a lot of people. When they stop learning, they're stuck, they get depressed. A fool, he says to everyone that he's a fool by telling everybody else how foolish they are. Look at this in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. He says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Or Proverbs 18 verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Ever had a conversation with someone and you're talking, you're pouring out your heart and you can tell they don't really, they're not listening to a word of what you said. They're just waiting for you to pause so they can jump in and be like, and, you know, and that's when you're like, see you later, bro. You know, I'll call, talk to you later, Levi, when you're ready to listen to me. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. But a fool just 
goes about his own way. It's directionally challenged. He doesn't care that his heart is inclined to the left. He doesn't care that he's not learning and not growing. And we need to ask ourselves, what kind of people are we? But it's not only necessary to avoid foolishness, but you also need to know how to respond to it. Because when you go out into the world, you're going to have a lot of these people that we've just defined over here that say, no God for me. That say, you know what? I don't care what you have to say. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And you're going to come across these people. And sadly, you're going to come across these people in your workplace. You're going to come across these people in politics. You're going to come across these people in leadership. You're going to come across these people in churches. And quite possibly, you're going to have to live with someone like this. Foolishness dealt with. This is the second thing. Dealing with foolishness. How do we respond to such foolishness? And I hope you know what you know, the definition of foolishness that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm using over here that the Bible says. It's evilness or wickedness of people not wanting to submit to a sovereign authority of God. Foolishness dealt with. Like I said earlier just now, um, it's quite possible that you are in a place where the doors are closed because you're having to deal with fools who are in power, who are in authority. You're having to do, deal with fools who are making decisions for you and who are making decisions not recognizing the morality of God, not recognizing that they are, you know, skipping in the middle of the freeway, so to speak. How do we deal with these people? Look at, uh, we're going to skip verse 4 for now, and we'll come back to it in just a second, but look at verse 5. He says, There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. So a leadership, a ruler, a king, that is a fool that's not taking God's advice, that's not taking godly counsel. In fact, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would be the same way, would not take advice from the wise men. And verse 6 says, Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. Um, if there's a verse that you want to go back to and look at that speaks about our time, I think it would be this. And I don't mean to get political, but when you look at leadership that doesn't give people who have wisdom to lead the city, who have prominence, who have business savvy, but takes away the power to be able to help society or puts crazy amount of taxes on them that they actually become poor or they have to leave the city and come to Idaho, awesome, right? To start a business, you know that it's foolish leadership. And we see that. We see that happening all around us, right? And I've, I've come across good business people that have had to shut down their business or their business, they, 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 you know, they're like, man, we're going to go bankrupt if we keep continuing this way. We've got to do something because our leadership that's making the rules are absolutely foolish. And Solomon says, I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on ground like slaves. This is not supposed to be a picture of inequality of a slave and a, and a prince, but this is, please listen to me, this is a picture of stupidity and foolishness in leadership. When a prince who's supposed to be on a horse is walking beside the horse and a slave is on a horse. And I'm not saying that, you know, in America when we talk about slavery, we have a very different picture. When the Bible talks about slavery, it's very different. Slaves were part of the family. In fact, Abraham, when he didn't have a son, he was going to give all his, all his belongings to his, his slave who was like a family member. But I don't want to get into that. What this picture is painting is foolishness in leadership when authority is not respected, when the prince is made to walk and the slave is on the horse. Again, I don't know, I might get into trouble for saying this. You know it's foolish leadership when people who have badges are disrespected. When people who should be respected, because I'm not saying that everybody's perfect, but when people who are in authority have lost respect and the leadership applauds it, you know you're living under foolish leadership. So we recognize it, but how do we deal with this? How do we deal with such foolish leadership? 
what should our response be? Let's get to verse 4 now. It says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Church, I know this is a very hard application for us to practice. But I believe that God's word is true. And if he's calling us to do something, he'll give us the ability to do it. And I know that in your lifetime, many of you, you're losing hope now because you've never seen leaderships run so badly and so poorly. And you've never seen the country fall apart so quickly because of bad, foolish leadership that, that disregards the sovereign authority of God. What should our response be? The Bible tells us that if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. You have no reason to run away in bitterness. You have to stay, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The Bible recommends a calm and a quiet response that turns away wrath. The Bible oftentimes tells us that our words have to be seasoned with salt, that are soothing and have a sense of calmness to it. We, I believe that we should be ready to respond with patience that's not pressured by hate. We should be ready to have a response not pressured like a fool with hate and anger but a pressure that's placed on us with an obligation to love. You know, when someone's angry and is acting very foolishly, you know what's worse than that? Is when you respond in anger and in foolishness because one angry foolish person is better than two angry foolish people. In fact, that's going to be on a sticky note on my mirror this whole week. <laughs> when someone responds with anger, calmness, a response that's not pressured with hate and anger, but a calmness that's pressured with the love from Jesus. And this is not just something that I'm pulling out of Gandhi's little uh, notepad, but this is exactly what the Bible teaches us. Staying calm is God's strategy for dealing with foolish anger. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18, Peter writes, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. You know why Christianity spread like wildfire? Because the apostles lived this way. They were beaten, they were tortured, they were killed. They didn't run away in bitterness. They didn't respond to anger with anger. Peter learned to put away the sword. There's a time to fight, absolutely. There's a time for us to stand up against injustice. But when you see foolish leadership, we don't respond to anger with anger. We respond with calmness and gentleness and with an answer that's pressured not by hate, but an answer that's oozing with love and grace and mercy from God. Look at this. Jesus sets a good example of this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Did you get that? Christ also suffered for you under bad leadership, leaving you an example. Why did he do that? So that you might follow in his footsteps. So what was the example he set? It says in verse 22 in 1 Peter chapter 2, He committed no sin, neither was deceit, that's lies, found in his mouth. When he was reviled, that's criticized, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Angry men rose up against Jesus. Foolish men threatened him. And corrupt men crucified him. But Jesus did not leave his place of his calling. He did not leave his place of his peace. He did not leave his place of confidence knowing that he was in this world with a purpose and a plan. He did not leave his place. He didn't let anything threaten him. But he responded with a response that was pressured out of love. Even on the cross saying, Father, forgive me. They did not know what they do. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we cannot have a strong opinion and have a voice to speak out against injustice in our land. We have to. In fact, I'm proud of people that are standing up and, and taking places of leadership in this country. I think we have to. I think we have to be a voice. But we cannot do it in anger and in hate. Our answer has to be pressured with love. It has to be pressured with, with an urgency for people to see the graciousness of Jesus. We have to stand up against injustice. There's something that really takes me off in leadership in, this, in the world right now is how quickly people applaud abortions. How no one stands up for the babies. And, and we have to speak up against it. And I need to check myself that I don't respond in hate and in anger but respond with graciousness and truth from Jesus. Jesus refused to leave his place or his calling, but with his calm response, he laid great offenses to rest, carrying our sins upon the cross and forgiving everyone who trusts in him, including the very ones who murdered him. Are you tracking with me? You see, I'm not saying that we shut up. I'm not saying that we give up. But I'm saying that we are living in a world with foolish leadership, with foolish people around us, and we cannot respond to foolishness with foolishness and anger. That's not the way Christ wants us to live. Instead, we respond with wisdom, with love. Let's look at this. It's easy to want to retaliate, but foolishness is self-destructive. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This should encourage you. This should encourage you if you are sitting on the edge of your seat and saying, Joel, I want to punch you right now, man. <laughs> Because that's what I want to do to everybody who's stupid right now, you know. Every time I see that bumper sticker, I just want to run them over. If that's the way you feel, take heart. Because foolishness, sinfulness, wickedness is self-destructive. And if you on the side of foolishness where you know your heart is inclined towards the left and you don't care about God straightening you up, this should be a warning for you. Because foolishness is self-destructive. Um, I don't know if this will make complete sense to you, but for every foolish action, there's an equal and opposite self-destruction. And Solomon's going to give us four examples of foolishness that will self-destruct. And before you get into it, I'm sure that you can think of some right now. Like I told you earlier, I, I think that those are the fail videos that I watch the most is when these guys have a lot of money and buy a fast car, do not know how to drive it, and it's like, brrrm, and spin out and, you know, total the car. Foolishness is self-destructive, not only when you drive a muscle car, uh, but also when you're living in a very sinful way. Look at verse 8. Four examples. Example number one, he who digs a pit will fall into it. That's all the time we have for today, but we would like to hear from you. Our address is P.O. Box 2014 Eagle, Idaho 83616. You can also listen to this message and more on the Living Church Boise app, available in your app store. 